simply be understanding something about God's will. God's will. You know, God's will, I believe, according to what we're going to be seeing tonight, is a lot more easier to be understood than sometimes we make it out to be. Sometimes we think that God's will is like the mystery eight ball. Anybody have one of those growing up or see one of those? You know what I mean? Hardly any of your parents think that that was made witchcraft. And you said, no, we could have one in our house. You know? but, uh, but you shave the ball, you know, and then it comes up, you know, you have your answer. But sometimes we think that the mysterious will of God is just kind of floating out there. We have to shake the magic eight ball. We have to get the answer just right. And if it doesn't, then, well, we shake it again until we get the right answer. And we've got to see tonight, I think, that God's will is a lot more easier to understand than what we can understand, what we think many times, though it can be sometimes very hard to follow. It sometimes is not always produces the most pleasable results, I would say, sometimes as it is here in the story and the life of Elijah. And many times I think in my Christian life, I can feel, tell you this, is that sometimes it maybe you feel like a struggle. Am I doing the right thing here? Am I doing the right thing here? Am I, am I living according to the will of God or in the will of God? And have I missed God's plan for my life? I mean, did I miss it 20 years ago? Did I miss it yesterday? I believe Elijah is a great picture of an inner struggle that sometimes Christians have on a maybe even a, a daily basis. Because whenever you find Elijah doing the will of God, it's very interesting what happens. When he does the will of God, he goes to Ahab in chapter number 17, and then after he has a spiel to Ahab, then the word of the Lord comes to him, and he tells him what? Go out to the desert, to the wilderness, and stay there, and ravens are going to feed you. That's great, right? I just, has anybody ever seen a raven? We have them here in Texas. I do not like them. They are ugly, nasty-looking birds, all right? And if that was bringing me my food, I would have to second guess some things. I would have to think to myself, I don't know if I want to eat after. I've seen what you eat. I know what ravens eat. I've seen them eat the dead squirrels and the nasty things. I've seen them eat those things. I don't know if I want what you had in your mouth 10 minutes ago. He, he obeys God and he goes there. And after he leaves the wilderness, he goes to the widow's woman's house. That's a great place to go, right? Uh, she says, I have nothing to eat. But what I have to eat, we're going to eat and die. The next thing that happens after that is that he's obedient to God, and God provides miraculously, and after God provides miraculously, what happens next after he obeys God's will? The widow's son, what happens? Dies. The story just keeps getting better. But praise God, God works in the situation miraculously, the son is healed, and he's brought back to life, and then what happens? Then he goes to Mount Carmel, kills the 450 prophets of Baal, the other 400 false prophets, 850 in all, and then what happens? Then he gets a miraculous applause, and Jezebel says, good job, we're repenting, and we're coming back to God, right? Now she says, if I see your face again, I'm going to kill you. And finally, not finally, but... Then you find after he runs for his life, he finally gets into the wilderness all by himself. He leaves his servant there. He gets into the, he gets into the wilderness, and what does he basically say to God? He wants to, has a uh, God-kill-me complex. Uh, I'm tired of living. It's too much for me. Why is it at times that whenever we obey God, it seems that it produces a struggle? I want to try to lay some framework for this, first of all, and just kind of point out a couple of things, and then we'll jump right into the message. I think that it's a struggle, and I think that it happens because, number one, we live in a fallen world, all right? 
Let's just go ahead and face that. Let's chalk it up. Let's just write it on the board. Let's get that in our minds that we do not live in a perfect place, and it is not getting better, okay? I like the close millennials tried to teach us a long time ago that it's not happening. It's not getting better. There's not a golden age that is coming on until Jesus Christ comes again. Jesus said, finally, these things have I spoken unto you, that uh, you might have peace in the world. Ye shall have, what does it say? Tribulation. Acts 4.22, 14.22, Paul and Barnabas go through all the churches. They confirm the souls, exhorting them to continue in the faith. And then they say that we must, through what? Much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. So what should your and I attitude be? Hebrews 11.26, or 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy pleasures of sin for a season. That has to be what we do in this fallen world, is that we've got to go through these tribulations. We have to suffer the affliction with the people of God instead of just enjoying some short, momentary pleasures that this world has to offer because we've got another home that's waiting for us. Secondly, why does obedience oftentimes produce struggle? Just look at yourself. I'm not, that wasn't a mean comment or anything, but just look at yourself. I mean, you're getting older, okay? Some of you have been testified to that a little bit more than others and everything, but we here tonight where our bodies are changing or we're getting older, we live in a fallen body. For this tabernacle, he says, the grown, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. We, we don't live in a perfect body. So obedience is hard. It's this flesh that we still live with because that's the third thing. We contend with fleshly lusts. It's a, it's a battle. It's a struggle. Galatians 5.17 tells us this. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And then listen to this. And these are contrary one to the other so that you could, so that you cannot do the things that you would. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world the lusts of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Obedience is struggle sometimes. We live in a fallen world. We have a fallen body. We have the fleshly lust to contend with. And then we also have what? On top of all of that, we've got an evil foe. The tempter is out there. And in case any of us are thinking, well, he only gets after me. We go back and read Matthew 4, right? He went after Jesus. He went after Peter, and Jesus says this about Peter. He says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fell not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy breath, strengthen thy breath. He says in 1 Peter 5 8, Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walk as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We didn't come into this world as obedient little Christians. We came into this world as sinners. And now many of us are saved by grace. Our lives have been changed. But we still deal with all of these factors on a daily basis. But though that happens, though there is a struggle of sorts, it is not as hard to figure out and to know the will of God as we make it out to be so many times. 
There's lots of reasons to why it can be a struggle. There's lots of reasons to why maybe it's hard to do. I just gave you a couple of them. I mean, there's anxiety, there's stress, there's sin, there's mistrust, distrust, our minds, depression. There's a lot of different angles that you can come at with these things. But we must learn to remain obedient even when it may be difficult. Remain obedient even when something terrible happens. Even when the widow's son dies. Remain obedient even when you run out of food. Remain obedient even when you're banished to the wilderness. Remain obedient even though you're persecuted. Remain obedient even though you want God to kill you. Remain obedient. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because what? There's always a storm. There's always an end to every storm. I sat through one of the worst storms of my whole entire life in Pensacola, Florida, when I was right in the middle of Category 4 Hurricane Ivy. And I literally saw doors that went that opened out go in. Steel doors. And when I was watching those doors, you know, at some point you begin to wonder, is it going to come in here? And then all of a sudden you look over at the racquetball courts and they're filling up with water as water's rushing down them. And then you really begin to wonder, is it going to come in here? I was really I was really fortunate. I was in a nice commercial building. My wife and my brother-in-law back here were in a house that was sounded like the roof was going to fly off of. But you know what I can tell you is this, is that Hurricane Ivan ended. Noah's storm had a rainbow at the end. And it may be difficult to obey sometimes. It may be a struggle, it seems like. But when the food ran out for Elijah, guess what? What happened? More food came. Uh, whenever the widow's woman's son died, what happened? Came back to life. Whenever Elijah was weak and worn out and he finally gets to the desert and he finally is there and God is there to provide for him a meal. It would have been insincere and unfaithful to, for Elijah on that day, whenever he was banished to the wilderness, and he's sitting there, and if he's getting food, and he's seeing the brook fall, go and come down, and he's seeing all the water, and it would have been un- it would have been foolish, and it would have been unfaithful, and it would have been insincere for him to look at the faithfulness of God, provide the provision of God, and then say, God, do you still want me here? I mean, do you, do you really still want me here? It would have been unfaithful for him to question God whenever he gets to the uh, widow's woman's house and he performs the miracle and the cruise of old doesn't fail and the meal the meal doesn't fail and he keeps making they keep making bread and keep making bread and keep making bread. It would have been unfaithful for him to say, maybe God doesn't want me here anymore. Sometimes we make the will of God so mysterious. That in reality, it's really simple. And so I want to discuss with you tonight just some rules to govern us, to help us determine the will of God easily. How can we determine the will of God in our lives? Number one, you're taking these rules down. I like calling them rules. This is, I don't like calling them things rules anymore. You know? we, need some, we need some rules every once in a while. Amen. I mean, it's good to have some rules. Can you imagine playing a sport without rules? 
when I was, uh, Brother uh, Robert, I was down there in Guyana, I got into cricket for about two seconds. And then somebody told me there's about 836 rules. And uh, and so, I don't know if that's an exact number, I just did it out there and made myself, you know, this, that there's a lot of rules. And, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on, which direction the ball's going. I can't figure out who's hitting, who's not hitting, who's running, who's not running. Why, what are these little, uh, these little sticks that are standing there, these little wickets? And, oh, the pitcher. No, he's not a pitcher, he's a bowler. But a bowler bowls like this. I mean, it's just all this kind of stuff I'm trying to figure out. I mean, can you imagine a game, though, that had no rules? Hey, here's a ball. Throw it in the middle. What are we doing? I don't know. Do something. There's rules. And there's some rules, I believe, that will help us tonight and help you, and I believe they've already, they've helped me, to help us to govern us uh, in determining the will of God easily for our life. Write this down, okay? This is going to be profound. Never seek the leading of the Lord concerning an act commanded in Scripture. Simply put it, put it like this, never ask God for something that he's already told you to do. I mean, I mean, it doesn't get much simpler than that right there. Never seek the leading of the Lord concerning an act commanded in the Scripture. Elijah was a man that though his obedience cost him, he was willing at any cost to obey what God said. Look in your Bibles here in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in 1 Kings 17. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not a dew nor rain these years, but according to my word, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded thee, the ravens, to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. You see that? God told him to do something, and what did he do? He did it. That simple. He didn't question it. He didn't wonder about it. He didn't plead the fifth or anything. He just did what God wanted him to do. He went and did it according to the word of the Lord. So he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh in the evening, and they drank of the brook. It came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verse of rain. I'm not going to try to be redundant with you, but this same narrative just continues on and on and on and on and on. Verse 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Rise, get thee to Zarephath. And what does he do? So he arose and went to Zarephath. Turn, if you will, a couple of verses down the way. In verse number 17. Um, or excuse me, in chapter 18, verse number 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon thee. And Elijah went and showed himself unto Ahab. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? God tells you to do something, you do it. That's what he did. God tells him where to go. God tells him what to eat. God tells him what to drink. And he says, so he did and went and did according to the word of the Lord. The first rule of obedience is don't seek counsel over the clear commands of God. God tells us to what? Tell people about Jesus Christ. That shouldn't be something that we have to argue over God with. God says to be filled with the Spirit. God says to be thankful in all things. God says not to complain. God says not to be angry and sin not. God says to rejoice evermore. 
God says to watch till Jesus comes. God says walk in the Spirit. God says have the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. Against such there is no law. Bible says, God says to love your husband, love, love your husbands. Why would I say that? Tells for the wives to love their husbands and to love their children. It says for the husband to love to love his wife. God says for the wives to be submissive to their own husbands. God says for children to be obedient to their parents. I mean, I could just keep going on and 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 on. But if you're trying to seek after something, let's say something comes up in your life, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a new job. Let's just use that as an illustration. Could be a new job. Could be a, a purchase that you want to make. It could be, you know, I know a lot of young people just struggle with what college do I go to? What do I do here? What do I do with this? And, and things of this nature. Uh, let's just use this illustration of a job. All right, you want to take the job? That's great. Sounds good. Is it going to interfere with anything God has told you to do already? It's going to interfere with what God has told you to do. Then why are you even thinking about it? Why would you even consider it? God told you to do it. God said to do it. Why would we even say, oh, maybe I shouldn't, and maybe you're weighing these things out. Well, I get paid more, I get it. Why? Should I go to this college or should I go to this place? Should I, should I go learn here? Should I go do these kinds of things? I would say that the vast majority of Christians are really just not strong enough to go to a college that would promote and teach liberal theology, liberal views, evolution. The statistics are out of this world. I believe it's over 90% of so-called Christians that go into a public university setting nowadays come out atheistic or agnostic. That you might be that 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 statistic might be a little low. Why would you do that then? If you're not able to defend your own faith, you know, with me or with somebody else, why would you even consider doing that? I'm just saying, why would we consider something? You say, well, you know, I really, I really need to buy, you know, I, I just, I've got to have that new TV, you know. It costs $2,500, but, you know, I've only got $25, but don't give me credit down at rent, rent away, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm just going ahead and, I'm just going for it. I mean, I'll go all in or all out. That's my, that's my ticket right there. Well, why would you do that? Why, why, why would you? Well, that goes against clear principles in Scripture. What God would want you to do, and and, and obey your money, and, and, and the things about and the things about the the money, and the things about owing no man anything, and things about debt that God puts out there. We've got to understand that if God has told us to do something, then why would we do something to mess that up? Why would we do something to destroy that? Too often Christians take it upon themselves to analyze and scrutinize the clear commands of God, and we act rather like a committee than a committed. We need to make sure that we're the committed people. You know, committees just never make a decision. They're always floundering on everything. Our command, the, the commands of God, are they always easy to follow? No, they're not always easy to follow. That's the point of the message. How easy do you think it was to just sit there and watch these unclean birds bring you food every day? How easy it was to watch the brook dry up and you're knowing that you're going to have to do something about it. But my friend, is that God has given you the grace to be able to follow the His commands. If He didn't, 
give you the grace, then he wouldn't tell you to do it. But he's giving us the grace. He says, he giveth more grace. I love that verse. He giveth more grace. Jesus Christ has given you grace not only for salvation, but also for sustaining on a daily basis. Come unto me, all ye that are labored, labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, I learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy and light. My burden is light. Secondly, what are some rules to govern us to help us to follow and to easily determine the will of God? Secondly, never seek the Lord concerning an act that is forbidden in the Bible. This needs to be established. That we never seek God about doing things that are contrary to His Word. Say, so, nobody would ever do that. Oh man, I've heard a bunch of them. I have heard so many of them. Preacher, I've knocked on people's doors like this. Well, you know, I really prayed about it, and I just don't believe I should go to church anymore. God, God has given me peace over this. <laughs> I tell you what, that, that, you might have peace, but you don't got God's peace on you. You got the devil's peace on you. You say the devil's got peace? Oh yeah, he's got a peace. How do you think he's rocking people to sleep tonight? How do you think people are sleeping? They're not. They're not here. They're not there. They're not. They're not following after God. I've heard people say it like this. Well, I have prayed about divorcing my wife, my spouse, my husband, and God has given me peace about this. Or, or uh, I, I've prayed a lot about forgiving that person, and I just cannot do it, and I think God's okay with it. These are real live things, okay, that happen and that, 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 I, that, I have, that I have heard. I know that the Bible doesn't say, it doesn't, and I know that the Bible says it warns us against drunkenness and an immoral lifestyle or drugs, and I, I know it's wrong, but. You know, through prayer, I, I believe that God and I are okay with each other you know, as long as I'm in this, like in, this, in this sin. And that happens all the time. And we have got to, got to, got to make sure we never, ever do that. Don't give any excuse for your sin. Don't give any excuse for this thing of Govern yourself in the will of God because if you start doing that, then the will of God is going to be muddled everywhere. You're going to be so muddled and such so much in a mucky, miry mess, you're not going to know what is the will of God and what isn't the will of God because you're saying it's okay to complain or be unthankful or to have some hatred in my heart or be angry with somebody. Well, it's okay for every once in a while for me to be mad at somebody or to kind of lash out at somebody. I mean, every once in a while, you got to kind of give somebody the old one-two, right? I give that to my kids all the time, you know. They just the old one, too. I mean, every once in a while, you, I mean, we just can't contain it, right? It's okay every once in a while. Then what are we doing? We're muddling the will of God. And then people say, well, I just don't know what God wants to do for me in this particular situation. Well, of course you don't. You've been muddling, you've been muddying up the will of God all over the place in these things that you've already allowed in your life that God has prohibited. How in the world can you know what God wants for your life? Sadly, some people don't just justify their sin. What do they do? And I've seen this, and I've got to be careful with what I say here. 
because my kids are not at this point maybe yet, but I need to be prepared for this. Even my, my wife and I were even talking about this. And if you're a, a parent of a young child in here, you need to have this discussion too. But sadly, what sometimes we do, and I've seen parents of younger children do this too, is that, we, is that we're able to somehow justify the sins of our children. Whereas they weren't so bad before, but when our children started doing it, then it became understandable and okay. I understand there is a line between loving your children and condoning their sin. I'm not saying banish your children. Alright? I'm not saying any of those things. But what I'm saying is this, is that be careful and how you approach that subject, that we don't condone the sin. We don't condone it, but we love them through that. But we don't justify what they're doing. It can be a very difficult situation, I understand. I've been involved with different, several different things that have dealt with this. But let us be careful in this matter. The issue of Balaam is a prime example. What does Balaam do? Balaam comes to Balaam to curse Israel, right? What does Balaam do? Goes to God and says, God, should I curse Israel? (laughs) The point is this, Balaam knew he shouldn't curse Israel. Why are you going to God asking for permission to curse Israel? And then he's like, fine, listen, just go ahead. And then he almost gets killed in the process. And then he goes, then he has the, the, the he's a, such a dimwit, he goes back to God again, even though he's almost killed in the whole entire process. Uh, the angel of the Lord almost kills him, but the, the, the donkey saves him right there in the middle of the path and crushes his leg and his foot a couple of times. I mean, uh, how, so many times we can be so for lack of better words, numb about the will of God. Can't we? I mean, God can crush our foot and, and uh, make us fall down and hurt us, and yet we're still begging God, God, will you allow me to do this? And God says, no, it's clearly commanded. I don't want you to live that way. But Elijah was not so. Look at 1 Kings 18 and verse number 17. Whenever Ahab is, or Elijah approaches Ahab in chapter 18, it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Elijah, Ahab said unto him, I love this answer, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And Elijah says, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and hast fallen Balaam. He was clear on the prohibitions of God. He was clear on what God says not to do. He stood by it. He stood with it. And he wasn't about to flounder or falter in it. Though he had the king of Israel standing right in front of him that at any moment, at any time, could have possibly killed him. He didn't care. He wanted to obey God. God said, don't do it. And this is what he did. God said, do it. And he did it. He obeyed God. And he listened to God. He listened to God about the clear commands of Scripture. He listened to God about the things that are clearly forbidden in Scripture. When I was a young Christian, I had a chance. I remember I had an unsafe friend of mine that I, I, was, I was newly saved. I'd only been saved uh, probably, I'd only been saved probably three months. And... Uh, he came to me and he said, uh, he said, hey, Matt. I said, well, I got a great opportunity for us. 
said, what's that? He said, uh, I'm going to this motorcycle mechanic school, and I built a really cool hot rod motorcycle. I said, man, that's awesome. I said, I'd love to see that thing. I'd love to get on it. He said, yeah, we're featuring it at the Daytona Bike Week. And he said, I want you to come with me. All expenses paid. And I thought about that for a few minutes. And then I began to realize all the sin that is down there. And then I began to realize that my buddy, put that in quotation marks, uh, he also liked to drink a fair bit. So did his dad. And so after considering it, I didn't even have to go to God and say, God, should I go to the table on the bike with you? I didn't have to do that. So, well, I feel like I could have gone, hey, listen, you're not me and I'm not you. Okay? But I couldn't go. I knew it. There was, no, I, there was no sense of me even thinking about going and doing something. There was no reason for me to pray about that. It was the will of God because of all the sin and the debauchery that was going down there that I knew would be happening. The Bible says what? Abstain from all appearance of evil. The Bible says have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going. I, and I politely told him, no, I, I couldn't go. And uh, they, of course, didn't understand and, uh, and those things. And tried to explain it to them, but they still didn't understand and uh, but the point being is this is that when there are clear prohibitions in our life let us not question God let us not go to God and say God should I do this should I not do this what? if God says no then no and finally here's the last rule spend less time on the unknowns and spend more time on the knowns I think this is the most crucial point here we perhaps spend more time worrying and are concerned about this last point than we are with the first two points. Many times we spend more time on the unknowns and less time on the knowns. We spend more time worrying about should God want me to take this job? Should God want me... I was talking to somebody today about a car. I spent more time worrying about a car, more time worrying about, uh, you know, uh, the, the color of the carpet, or more time worrying about what color should I paint my house, and, or what, uh, you know, should I, uh, you know, should I approach this person about this particular, we spent all this time worrying about these one things or another, should I go on this trip, should I not go on this trip, should I do this, should I not do this, I mean, I mean, this, all the things that went through my mind with Guyana, I mean, because what if this happens, or what if that happens, or what if what if they what if I get COVID and they don't you know all of these things? We would worry about so much about the unknown. Now listen about the things we cannot change. We worry about it. The last time I found out that worrying never changed something, well, I never have found that out. Worrying doesn't change anything. We worry over so many small things that God has given to us. Listen to me here. God has given to us the liberty to make our own choices in the matter. He's given us liberty, folks, to make choices. Say pray without ceasing. I say amen to that. Be in prayer about everything. 
I'm not saying that you don't, but when it, Ahab, whenever Joe, God tells him to go to Ahab, right, in chapter 18, but he doesn't meet Ahab. Who does he meet? It says in chapter number 18, whenever Elijah goes his way, it says in chapter number 18, in verse number 7, and as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and he fell on his face, and he said, Art thou Elijah? And he talks to him, and he has a conversation with him. Elijah didn't have to like get on his knees and be like, God, should I talk to Obadiah? He's coming this way. No, he just talked to Obadiah. Uh, whenever he brings all the prophets of Baal up to the top of Mount Carmel, does he say, Dear Lord, should I kill these prophets after this is all said and done? No. He just does it. It was in his heart to do it. It was the right thing to do. He didn't need to waste. When he said, when Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. All right? Whether he was right or wrong, I don't know. I don't know in the matter made it necessarily. But he didn't ask. He just went. I think it was probably a wise decision. I think it wasn't a bad thing. Jesus at times, whenever they're about to throw him over the cliff, what does he do? He leaves. <laughs> they're about to stall him one time. He walks through the midst of them. He's gone. He needed not to question Elisha. When Elisha says, can I go back and, and say goodbye to my family? I mean, he didn't question Elijah. He didn't question God. He'd be like, God, is this really the man of God? I mean, I didn't do that whenever I was called of God to, to go be a prophet. Listen, friends. God leads all of us in different ways at different times. But he never leads any of us contrary to the word of God. None of us are led contrary to the word of God. Do we struggle in matters? Yes. But in matters that are plain to the Word of God, we need to obey it. On the surface, too many times it looks more spiritual if we seek and pray and plead over circumstances that really have no clear, clear direction. We struggle where there needs to be no struggle. When we ought to be worried and concerned about the commands of God and the prohibitions of God. What has God told me to do? What has God told me not to do? And do those things affect the decision that I want to make. Do what God's told you to do. Don't do what God's told. Don't do what God's told you not to do. And then do, as one person said, what you want to do. You say, is it that simple? Oftentimes, it really is. But oftentimes, we spend so much time on the back end of things that we never see God's word about what God says for us to do. Never see God's word about what God says for us not to do. A.W. Tozer said this, If God gave you a watch, would you honor God more by asking Him the time or by consulting the watch? If God gave a sailor a compass, would the sailor please God more by kneeling in a frenzy of prayer to persuade God to show him how which way to go? Or would God be more pleased if the sailor steered according to the compass in which God gave him? I think a lot of times God's just looking at us and he's like, I gave you a watch. I gave you a compass. I mean, why are we still stuck on this thing? Brother Woodard ought to have enough faith in God 
that whenever he got called to missions, and he believes that the Lord wanted him to go to Japan, I think we all, and Brother Wood, every one of us ought to have enough faith in God, if God did not want him in Japan, that though he stepped out by faith and said, I'm going to Japan, should we not all have enough faith in God to believe that if that's not where God wanted him to be at, that he would redirect his steps and put him in Guyana? Of course. Go back to the beginning of your chapter, chapter number 17. I've showed you many places where the word of the Lord came unto Elijah. Look at chapter 17, verse number 1. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God liveth, of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not do a rain come these, come rain these years, but these years according to my word. Elijah just busts on the scene. I don't see one place where it says, and the word of the Lord came into Elijah. Go and say Ahab. Ahab just had enough, or excuse me, Elijah had enough faith to just believe God. To believe God. He knew the commands of God, that they shouldn't worship. He knew the prohibitions of God, that if they do worship these idols, then what did God promise in Deuteronomy? You'll have drought. You'll have famine. You'll have these things. It was clear. The word of the Lord didn't come to Elijah in this particular case here. We don't record, we don't find it recorded, at least. What's the point? Is that too many times we worry and we struggle with what's on the front and what's on the back end when we need to be worrying about what's on the front end? God has given to you and me a compass to do His will. He's given you a word in His word. It may be a struggle to allow ravens to feed you. It may be a struggle to drink from a brook. It may be a struggle to go to a widow and to be asked to be fed. It may be a struggle... But never tire from obeying God. For he'll never tire of leading you in the way that you should go. God's will for our lives, I don't believe, is so complicated. Does that mean we never pray? Of course not. Does that mean we seek God? Of course not. But let us have enough faith to believe that if we're trusting God, Loving God, following His Word, listen to what He's clearly told us to do and to not do. And we can make decisions, my friend. You don't have to flounder in the sand. You don't have to wonder whether or not, am I in this mysterious will of God? No. Are you doing what's right? Are you following God? I spoke to a man just not too long ago. He was wanting to go into the ministry. I said, what do you, I said, what do you want to do? He said, well, I just want to follow the Lord and find his will in my life. And I said, I said, I said, quit with all that, please. Will you just be straight up with me? What do you want to do? 
to help teenagers serve the Lord. Okay, great. Do you have any known sin in your life? No. Are you doing your best right now to follow God, read His Word, and pray and seek Him? I think so. Trying to. Then why would you try to help teenagers love the Lord? That's simple. Yeah, that's simple. It's not that hard. But we make it so hard. I'm struggling over this job. I'm just struggling over this church. I'm just struggling over my attitude. I just don't know if God... What does God tell you to do? Amen? I just... You just don't understand my wife. You don't understand my kids. <laughs> you don't understand my parents. What does God tell you to do? When we start following the clear commands and the clear prohibitions of God, then the backside of this thing becomes a lot more clear. May God help us to follow God's free will. He's given us a lot of liberty, folks. All that liberty is right here in this Word. It's right here in the Word of God. Right here in the Word. I heard this chihuahua one day. Remind me of uh, Chibi. You know, have you ever, ever seen Chibi? Think about this big thing. He's a, yeah, he's, he's a small dog. You know? That's Alexis's dog, by the way. Luke's dog. Hmm. It's a little bitty thing. I mean, but come on now. Anybody that's ever seen Chibi knows that Chibi is completely defenseless. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean. He is. I mean, he's just completely defenseless. He has no defensive skills whatsoever. Nothing. All right. I have a dog that's a little bit bigger than Chibi, and she thinks she has defensive skills. But like one swift kick with a steel toe boot, and I mean that would be the end of her life too. I mean that would be it. But but Chibi, I mean I mean defenseless little thing, little little guy. He is he is he's awesome. He loves his his family and everything. But Chibi gets a yard. He gets a nice big yard. All right, and it's got a nice big fence around it. Can you imagine if little Chibi got in his brain one day? He's like, you know what? These Coffee people always keeping me cooped up in the yard. You know, <laughs> I can't believe the nerve that they have. I'm, you know, 20 square inches, you know what I mean? And, you know, I've got a yard that's, you know, you know, 150 times bigger than me. You know what I mean? I mean, I, what the, what, I, mean I should be able to roam the street. I should be able to get out and do whatever I want to do. And finally, one day, the opportunity comes. The door is open, and Chibi escapes. Out the door he goes, and down the street he goes, and oh, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. I finally made it out. But what Chibi doesn't realize is that there's two pit bulls around the corner. You see, we sometimes view God like that. 
We look at God's will so restrictive. We say, God's restricting me. I can't do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to obey my parents, and I've got to love my husband, and I've got to love my wife, and I've got to not complain, and I've got to tell people about Jesus, and I've got to get the missions, and I've got to get the church, and I've got to do all these things. But God is saying, listen, my friend, you don't understand what I'm trying to protect you from. What I'm trying to keep you from. I'm trying to keep you in the will of God in order that you may be most used by me and protected so that you live another day. Amen? And the protection, the boundaries are set. It's here. And everything outside of that, you got free reign to move around. You got free reign to move around me. And you can be in the most unsafe place in Georgetown, Guyana. Brother Zach here said, This is a place you don't want to be at night. You can be in the most unsafe place in America. But if you're in the center of the will of God, you're in the safest place possible. You can be in the safest neighborhood in Austin, Texas, but be outside of the will of God and be in the most dangerous possible place of your life. God's will is not locational. God's will is right here. It's in the Word. You let God lead you according to this. It'll give you a lot of liberty. A lot of liberty to move around. May God help us to follow this. Father, we're thankful.